smell something? Put that cookie down! Hello, welcome to the Mighty Motion Picture Rangers. I'm Shane. I'm Chancellor. We're filmmakers, we're fans, and we are fixing a bit of a big problem we've had in this podcast because I don't know if any of our listeners have noticed, but it has been a veritable sausage fest for like the last, what are we, this is episode 12, so the last 11 episodes, all men, but... We are fixing this because we have brought on two very special guests. We have Ellen and Rachel. Say hi, Hi. Ellen and Rachel are some writer friends of mine. I met at a a, a screenwriters group. They both of you run that, yeah? That's right. In in Brisbane, Brisbane. This is Brisbane screenwriters, I guess. And you can find that on Facebook and join up. And then you can if you if you're in Brisbane. Uh, and we don't want people out of Brisbane. Any Sydney people, get out of here. Wait, wait, someone came from like so... Oh, you come from like Redcliffe, don't you? Like way north. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really far. Redcliffe, that's not... Get out. How can you run this group? It's, it's, I mean, but that's like a hell of a drive every... And, and Ellen comes. I from, also come from Redland City, so yeah. oh, where, yeah. I don't even know where that is. Well, it's it's about as equivalently far as Redcliffe. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. I didn't even know that. Okay, well, thank you guys for making the trip to <laughs> recording this. Oh, you're welcome. Making welcome. the trip to Brisbane to run a group for screenwriters that, that, that just makes it more impressive, really. Commitment. Well, we wanted to be inclusive and make it in the centre so everyone could get there. Yeah, I was, and it's a great group. I mean, I've been going for two years now mostly and I only came on like two months after you had started it. I think it runs every – the first, the second, third, fourth Saturday of every month. That's right. I just went through like five It must have been more than two years ago now, Shane, because we started oh, in th- December 2013. Okay, 13, 14. So you've been coming 18, for a lot longer. Yeah. And I came, I think my first one was February of the following year. It was the first one I came yes. to. Oh that God, is a 14, lot more 15, than So three four years. years. And then this oh, will be the fourth year now. We're yeah. in the fourth year now. So it's, fe- oh, wow. Okay. Yes. I've known you guys for ages now. Um, do you feel real old now? <laughs> I do a bit, just a little. Oh, oh! I, I found out like Cloverfield has been out for ten years yeah, as right. of just now. The movie Cloverfield, and I'm just like, that's not that movie came out in 2008. That's not this is this is like uh, this is my ten year at, f- reunion from high school. Me oh too. God! Oh. oh no, it is too. <laughs> uh, but anyway, what we're going to be talking yeah. about uh, this week? We're going to be talking about uh, female characters in film because I think it's a very opportune moment, especially given the current climate. Um, we're in big seismic shifts, I think, both in front of and behind the camera. Uh, but as always, we start by asking the question, what have you been watching? And we'll go, Ellen, what have you been watching this week? Uh, well, this week, of course, uh, yesterday I was watching The Good Place. I've been watching Supergirl, Dynasty, and I also went to see The Darkest Hour. Oh, what do you think of Darkest Hour? It was okay. I mean, it was good. Yeah. If you like history, I think you'll like it. Um, yeah. I Thought it was going to be a little bit more intense than it was. It was very Churchill focused. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we sort of came in following a, a young woman, a typist, a sort of assistant for him, and thought that she was going to have a little bit more of her own life in it, but she didn't. Um, so, <laughs> She's yeah. Just a window to view the men. <laughs> that's right. That's right. She was the way into the story. So, I think if you like Churchill and if you're interested in that side of history, mm. then it really is a, a great portrayal of him. Um, very fascinating to learn about. The man behind the image. Yeah. What do you What do you think of Dynasty? I am a bit obsessed, but <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a little bit of a um, a fan of those kinds of shows. Uh, so for me, it is enjoyable. But Fallon Carrington, I think, is what seals the deal. She's really very good performer, assertive and interesting female character. Yeah, they've got a very great actress on there. I started watching it because I was interested because it looked like it wasn't going to take itself so seriously, and it. 
I did like four episodes and then it started taking itself a bit too seriously. And like the characters I were interested in had really bad actors doing it. So it was just, it's the, the, the cousin guy that's with the brother. And, and I was I like, in that story, I was like, is that going to be interesting? I'm like, no, no. I like my bar is usually like Connor and um, uh, Oliver from How to Get Away with Murder is like my bar for like decent plots like that. Fair enough. Um, but what about you, Rachel? What have you been watching? Um, I've been watching Molly's Game. Oh yes, I Tonya. Oh, really very good. Yes, uh, the Big Sick. Oh, had you seen that before? No. What did you think? I loved it. Okay. I actually had this. Yeah, I'm worried by your reaction. <laughs> you didn't like it. I thought it was a really great script and performances. I just didn't like the way they shot the movie. Oh, I, I heard a criticism very, of that as yeah, well. It was just yeah. very bland. It looked like a t- like it could you could put that on TV and you wouldn't notice a difference if you, like if you, it's not one that plays on a cinema very well, I yeah. think. Yeah, you actually said that in a previous yeah, podcast I and yeah. I went, oh, no, I never look at the cinematography. <laughs> oh, like yeah, I yeah, only yeah. care about the performances and yeah, the writing, yeah. so I didn't notice that. Yeah. Well, you, you guys are writers, like chiefly yeah. writers, so mm. that's what you're kind of going to focus on. Mm. And it's, I mean, Oscar nominated. <laughs> it's the first time I've had a satisfied feeling after a rom-com since really? I think something like When Harry Met Sally. Okay. Like I just thought rom-coms went so downhill recently or over the last maybe 10, 20 years. Yeah. And we haven't, they, they pretty much died about three or four years ago completely because mm. the, they're like those mid-range budget films and the bottom of that fell out and so now it's indie stuff or high-budget stuff and indie stuff aren't interested in the rom-com and the high-budget stuff is definitely not interested in the well, rom-com. there are still a few like, and they're indie rom- rom-coms. Well, yeah, like Big Sick would be one Yeah, yeah, Big Sick. Um, any of you guys seen uh, How to Plan an Orgy in a Small Town? Wait, what? Yeah, yeah, I specifically bought it specifically because that title was hilarious. But yeah, that's a that's a really fun independent rom com that I found very satisfying uh, by the end. Uh, I think there was one. What if with uh, it was called the F word was the original script with um, Daniel Radcliffe is in it, and it's like a friend zone thing, but it deals with it in perhaps a little bit more mature way than you would expect because the friend zone thing is such a dumb yeah. idea, <laughs> and you'd you'd expect it to be dealt with in a very childish way, but they dealt with it in a little bit more. With a little bit more maturity, I thought. Mm. Um, yeah, so what was the other one you were going to say you'd watched? Um, Call Me By Your Name. Oh, yes, yes, Call Which Me I, By Your Name. Yes. I've had a... Uh, Which we disagree on. <laughs> yeah. Fight, what, fight, What do you fight. think of um, Molly's game? Because I, I haven't seen... I'm seeing that tomorrow morning. I liked it a lot and I didn't expect to because I kind of got the shits with Aaron Sorkin shortly after the West Wing when yeah. I went, oh, he's just doing the same thing over and over and over. Yeah, I, you, I remember we like when I first joined the group and I was like, because oh, at that time the newsroom had just come out and I was obsessed with Aaron Sorkin and you were like, too much dialogue. And I'm like, no, you can never have enough dialogue. <laughs> um, I read the script. I haven't seen the movie. I read the script of Molly's Game about a year ago. I really didn't like the Like I love Aaron Sorkin's scripts and Steve Jobs I thought was great, but um, Molly's Game I got really pissed off with because it's just... It's two hundred. A, it's two hundred pages long, and B, most of that is just voiceover. And I don't. I've been told there is a lot of voiceover in the movie as well, but it's. I think it's. And I, and I had this feeling reading it. I was like, it's probably going to be a little better because A, Jessica Chastain is such a great actress. She can take average writing and make it better. Mm-hmm. Um, and B, visually, you're going to have better visuals. But what I found in the script, it was she'd say what was about to happen and then you'd see the scene happen that she'd just described to you in voiceover and that was like the whole script. And I was like, this is not... I found it, it wasn't a page turn, unlike Steve mm. Jobs, which was still like, it was like a 170-page script. And I was just ripping through that one. Um, it was really interesting. What about Atonia? Um 
I liked that as well and I didn't expect to because I kind of heard some backlash about how people felt it was a bit patronising to rednecks for want of a better word but... I found it quite empowering to that. And yeah, I, I was I thought I was, she had humanity. Yeah, I thought it was really I thought they dealt with it weirdly maturely given that it was such a comedy. And I thought the humor was very well placed in it. Mm. And I was you know, her performance, I I'm like she knocked it out of the park as far as I'm concerned. And also Sebastian Stan too, because mm. I haven't seen him play that like mm. ever. He was it was a different character and I love seeing actors do something other than, you know, what is it, Bucky from <laughs> the Captain America movies. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's good. Any any TV shows? Or, oh, you know, you no, I've been on a bit of a movie. Oh, wow. oh that's thing, which is very weird for me. It is normally that we meet up with the writers group and we're catching up, and I'm always going on about the movies, and you guys are like huge on TV yeah. shows. Uh, anyway, what about you, Chance? What have you been watching? Uh, so uh, I've watched a lot of stuff that I've watched before this week. Just things like Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. It was like that time of year where I I've got to rewatch it. Seen it. How have you not watched it's it? It's on. They just dropped it on Stan. I'm. Go- it's on the top of my list. Okay, good. You are forgiven. Um, Hercules Returns. I, <laughs> which we, I mentioned on the first episode of here. I lent it to a friend right after that episode. Um, and he just gave it back, and I was like, I haven't watched that in like a year. Boom, slapped it in. Uh, but I've also been catching up on my top ten list of the movies I wanted to see. Oh, that were your honourable mentions? My honourable mentions. <laughs> it was everyone else's top ten, and I finally got to see Colossal. Oh, what do you think? Is oh, it your movie? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's absolutely my movie. I, I am so disappointed that I didn't get to see it in cinemas or anything. It had such a limited release. It only was on here for like a week or two weeks. So I missed it too. I was keen on seeing it, but then it was just really hard to get to. I had to travel for like over an hour to get to where I could see it. Yeah. Um, I love now it. it's on Foxtel On Demand, so yeah. that was really easy for me I feel to like, see. But I, I, when I was watching it, I'm like, this is a chance to movie. You would yeah, really love oh, it. it was me. All, and, and, it, and it does what I love genre films doing. I don't think all genre films should do this, but specifically what this one does, it's the same thing Raw does, and it's the same thing that, uh, oh, I can't think of one, uh, Martin McDonough does, where where you have these themes and you technically have this story that is not part of that genre, but it uses that genre to tell the story. Uh, anyone here seen Raw except for me and Shane? Oh, you guys no. would love it. It's a coming of age story about a girl. It's a French movie, mm. um, and it's about a girl who she goes to like a veterinarian school, and she, she her whole, whole family is like hardcore vegan. And then during one of like a hazing ritual, she's forced to eat like a rabbit liver, and then she turns into a cannibal. Oh, I saw the ad for that. It's yeah. really, I would not love that. <laughs> it's very good though. See, like, yeah, and that's female director it, too. It acts, it acts as though all, all the ads and that act like it's a horror and it acts like a horror but the story it's telling is a coming-of-age story and it, it's a great story. And that's the same thing that I found from Colossal. Colossal was is a the, kaiju film but it's about domestic abuse and it's about... And addiction. Addiction, yeah. And, like, I just found that so... Do you guys uh, know the, the, the movie Colossal? So Anne Hathaway plays, she's an alcoholic who her life just goes to crap her boyfriend leaves her and so she goes back to her hometown because that's where the only place where she can live and then while she's there she discovers she has the power to control a giant monster in south korea it's just this mm. bizarre yeah. <laughs> twist on the thing and it's it's a really interesting movie yeah by a, a, is a european filmmaker or is it a, an asian uh, I'm filmmaker sure spanish spanish filmmaker yeah um, but yeah, really fascinating movie. And even like the little things of like filmmaking, like the way they use shot reverse shot in the end, yeah. that ending scene, oh, I just so love good. it when people use something as simple as a shot reverse shot in such an interesting way like that. Yeah. I don't know whether I should say or not. Because no, of, no, no, don't. Yeah, it's no, very it, good. It's a worthwhile movie to yeah, check out. Yeah, very good movie. <laughs> and I'm disappointed that it took me 
what, a year and a bit to see it. But oh, it was yeah. worth the wait. Worth the wait. Okay. Well, um, I watched last night, I literally went and saw Phantom Thread, which is Daniel Day Lewis's final movie, and Paul Thomas Anderson's newest one. Worth, How is that? Worth it? Yeah. <sighs> It, it like all of his all of his recent stuff is really uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's recent stuff is very peculiar and you can't it's not a movie you can get in one sitting then like I mean they never are but it's it's a very it's, it, all the things people say it's engrossing it's hypnotic it's gorgeous the performances are really good especially the supporting uh, actresses because basically Daniel Day Lewis and then he's in a business where he's surrounded by women because he designs dresses and he's like an obsessive neurotic kind of thing and. And the the women that they cast, I never heard of any of these actresses. I realised I'd seen them in stuff because they're all British. Um, so they'd been like tiny little roles in British movies all the time. But they were really, really good. And it took some interesting turns. It's definitely worth seeing, especially if you like sort of like the design, the costumes and all that kind of stuff. It's a very, very interesting movie. But um, And then I saw literally straight after I went and saw Good Morning Vietnam. <laughs> Robin Williams nice, movie. Yep. They just played a retro thing on the cinema. I'd never seen it before. So seeing it on the cinema was great. Uh, oh, fucking! I miss Robin Williams so much. He's t- he's so good, and that movie is the perfect because normally he does like a movie where he does his zany comedic antics, and then he does his serious stuff. And Good Morning and Vietnam, good morning Vietnam, Vietnam is, is both a perfect balance. It's a perfect yeah. balance. Both. It was a really great vehicle for him. I'm shocked that he lost the actor Oscar to oh god, I don't even know who some some person. I I'm like no one remembers that fucking movie. Um, <laughs> or at least we don't. At least we don't. But uh, I loved it and I thought it was a really well-made movie too, very dramatic and shockingly dealt with the Vietnam War in a way that wasn't very uber-patriotic, I want to say, which some movies can. Even when they're critical of it, they can be very America and this one was kind of like, yeah, no, Americans might not have the right idea. Um, and then I saw uh, Punch Drunk Love, which I'd never seen before. As a really, really, it's another Paul I'm Thomas Anderson. I'm surprised you haven't seen that before. Well, because it's like it was just like I don't love Adam Sandler, so that's like the draw to yep. push me away from it. But this is his best film, I reckon, hands down. Uh, and it's a gorgeously shot. It's another Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Gorgeously shot, gorgeously scored. It's I think like I love Paul Thomas Anderson's. He has another movie called Magnolia, which has got like a million actors in it. Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise's best performance. Uh, that's my favourite of his movies, but I think Punch Drunk Love was his best movie. Uh, it was Michael Douglas in Wall Street. That's the one. Wall Street, yeah. I just got that out of the top of my head magically. You didn't Google it on your phone just nope. now. No. <laughs> um, uh, and then I watched, I finished Insecure season two, which uh, you, have you, both of you I watched it? I haven't finished it. You, have you watched any of it? Ellen? Yes, I think I've seen most of season one. I watched it on a plane and it was great, but then I couldn't quite figure out how to get my hands on it back home in Australia. Uh, yes, so. it's, uh, I just caught up on season two. It's good. And in season two she takes some interesting like story arcs. She does some interesting things with the story. It's not just, oh, here are these people living their lives in this part of LA that you haven't seen before. She actually kind of does some interesting plotting, especially the final episode is taken from like four different perspectives and played over. You see the same span of time from different characters and then it all kind of comes together in the end. It's, I love that show. She's so funny. All the people that she cast are brilliant, but especially Issa Rae and uh, Yvonne Oroji. 
um, which is her best friend in the show. They're just great. Um, and I then, don't find Insecure super funny. I think it's a dramedy. Like there's some really oh, it's, sad. It, it's dramatic, but yeah. the, their dynamic together. I'm laughing at everything. Like they're just they're just her, her and her friend. her and her friend specifically. But even like right. some of the little supporting roles next to it, I think they're just really funny. They're really endearing characters that you care about. Even like even you know the the ones who aren't nice characters. You kind of care. You know her work friends. As the show goes on, you kind of care about them a little bit it's really I, I i'm really keen to see where she takes that show um and then i'm one episode away from catching up on how to get away with murder and dear god that show <laughs> you have, have you when did you stop ellen i stopped when i don't want to say it because it's a massive spoiler if people haven't seen it uh what's do you know what season was, I don't I know. It might have been end of season four, but I don't, well, I don't remember what, what season they're up on to. now, aren't they? Or is it season five? I, I think know. they're on season four now and I think they're only going to go for one more. I think it was season three. You stopped at the, near the beginning of season three, I feel. It like. was after a really crucial death. That's oh, all I'll right. say. Okay, yeah, and I did not like it. Yeah, okay. I did not care for it. Whoa. That's Spoilers, end of season, guys. That's, that's end of season three. Um, okay, they did with it really well, I reckon. This most recent episode that I just watched is like intense there was like people dying trapped in an elevator and a giving birth while dying and then a baby resuscitation and there was gore wow. everywhere i'm like it was it, it it was like a full-blown panic attack worth of an episode but i'm loving where it's going i'm like i, I find that show is really inventive with how they do their the flashback stories and every time they managed every season they managed to keep it pretty fresh yes um so yeah well, anyway, on that note, because it kind of leads in, because, uh, uh, you know, we'll get into the main topic. So women are at the centre of the conversation for once. Uh, which Do you mean that cool. in our podcast and, or, or in general in Both. Film? Oh. Both. I think, you know, we're seeing a lot of female-led stuff and, you know, there's the Me Too movement, which is big. Mm. Um, and they're talking, you know, the big talk about female directors at the Oscars and sort of stuff. And what are your guys' thoughts on that kind of stuff? Where it's at. Well, where to start? <laughs> I mean, every every three days, it feels like I open my computer and find more news that disturbs me in so many ways. Um, it's it's shocking, but it's also not shocking. I mean, I think anyone who ever watched anything that came out of Hollywood saw movies and TV shows that hinted at this insidious underbelly for so long. Yeah, yeah. Um, we all knew it was there, even if we didn't live in Hollywood and even if we didn't know these people. And so to know that it's not just harking back to a bygone era, but is something that really hasn't gone away yeah. is something that's that's really troubling and I'm really glad that we're starting to talk about it and it's address almost, it. It's almost like a, an exorcism of all like just this shit that's Absolutely. just getting out. I think it's, it's a catharsis. Yeah. It's just yeah. that the exorcism is hard to get through. It, it, <laughs> it sucks because it's like such a good thing that they're all coming out. It's like, yay, but the fact that they they couldn't before and now they have to, the fact that they have to come out at all, it's like, oh, goddamn, this is still a thing. Uh, every time, like, one comes out, I'm like, yay, they're getting out. That'll be the last one. <laughs> never is. It never is. I think it's also, I think there's also this is weird, because obviously there's going to be a backlash against it. People don't like the status <laughs> quo changing. But there's this, like, weird misinterpretation of the fact. Like, there's room for everyone. It's not like one or the, it's not like if there's women directors, no men are allowed to direct. Like, it's not that. I don't get that kind of backlash because no. there's room for everyone, I think, and people of colour especially too. I think there's – it's a weird balancing act because you kind of you, 
I, you know, I mean, did, did you miss the the thing on Black Panther this morning? No, I saw it. All yeah. the photos of the premiere. Is uh, that what you're referring no, to? All the backlash. Oh no, coming out backlash. about rotten. Yeah, from rot, uh, to Rotten Tomatoes of people oh. going, ah, uh, you know, Are giving you bomb threats and stuff. It's because the world's a really lovely place. Is this where they're calling it like "quote unquote" white genocide? Yeah. Oh god. Oh, all I saw was fantastic photos of people looking amazing at so, the yeah, premiere. That was what I saw first, <laughs> and I was like, "This is a good day, yay!" And five minutes later, it was oh. ruined. Apparently, the movie's incredible as well. I've heard. I can't wait. No, I'm really glad. <laughs> I'm so, I think that might end up being one of my favorite Marvel movies, if not my favorite Marvel movie of all time. Just also because Chadwick Boseman is like one of the best actors we have working, and he's not doing enough. He's never doing enough. But um, I guess back to back to things. So a bit of like a, a history of sort of female, because we kind of want to look at like female representation in front of the camera. I think going behind the camera, we're still so early on. I think that it's not, you know, we're getting there. But um, in, in terms of in front of the camera, what's it sort of been like? Do you guys have any notes or, or points? I was racking my brains from in my teens and 20s you know, who were the female characters that I was inspired by and I didn't come up with hardly any. I was, I mean, I'll oh, show wow. my age. I was watching John Hughes movies, which I love. <laughs> yes. But I wasn't watching them for the women. I wasn't relating to the women. Molly Ringwald is not that relatable. I, I She's so beautiful. I was just thinking about, I'm like, how much John Hughes films, which I love, and you think back and you're like, Molly Ringwald really wasn't a strong character no. <laughs> no, I mean, she was kind of quirky and pretty, but there wasn't a lot of depth to her. No, so yeah. I was watching those movies to crush on the guys. <laughs> yeah. And that's how I watched movies for years, just following <laughs> cute actors around, which is sad that I could, like, I didn't really think that at the time, but now I <laughs> yeah. think that's sad. There was no one to relate to. Yeah. And um, the only thing I thought of was I saw Sex, Lies and Videotape in the cinema when I was 18. Oh, wow. And I remember there's, a, there's two sisters right in the centre. I don't don't know if they're the leads. I suppose technically it's James Spader. But the sisters I really related to because there's a good sister and a bad sister and that's what I've got in my family. so you were the good sister, obviously? I was the good sister and my (laughs) other sister was the bad sister. And I was just like, I felt like I saw me in some way that was so profound that I actually like made an audio tape of the movie and listened to it over and over again and learned the dialogue. And I didn't know why I was doing that, but it's because it spoke to me so much. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. What about you, Ellen? Um, well, I found growing up in Australia there was a little bit of a gap in Australian <laughs> women or Australian teenage young women on television. I didn't have a lot of uh, inspiration there. But I did grow up watching Friends, Dawson's Creek and Charmed was something I was oh, quite Charmed. obsessed with uh, to the annoyance did of my parents. Did you watch Sabrina the Teenage Witch? I did. Yeah. I loved Sabrina. <laughs> that was my favourite sitcom growing up. Yes, I loved Sabrina. I loved The Nanny. Um, oh, The Nanny, yes. My mum loved that show so we just all had to watch it. <laughs> I love it. It was great. Yes, I probably could tell you about every episode. Oh. It's a bit it's weird, and she's like now like an anti-vaxxer. Fran Drescher's like an anti-vaxxer, a bit kooky <laughs> nowadays. I found that out and was like, ooh, that's not great. I do love the story though of how the oh, nanny yeah. got made, which is that she managed to get She was working her... in a bridal shop in Flushing, Queens. No. And her boyfriend kicked her out in one of those crushing <laughs> scenes. Oh, of course. Uh, what no. was she to do? I remember the episode where they have Fran Drescher's character quote the intro music in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I was referring to a different story, right. uh, very similar. But uh, no, Fran Drescher got herself sat next to a producer on a plane and then pitched it as the sound of music, but with her and not Whoa. singing. That is <laughs> wow. correct. It is, isn't it? <laughs> 
That's right. I mean, there's a lot less, you know, Nazi Germany, but still, wow. That New York really... theatre people, Nazi Germany, same Yeah, what's the difference? difference. <laughs> yeah, I just love that. I thought that was such a great go get them kind of story and yeah. great well, show. There you go. Um, I think it's interesting historically because we had this weird, like in the silent age, as far as like in front of the camera, women weren't there. It was all, it was like a lot of it was Westerns and, and all those kind of stuff. Um, and then it was weird when we went to the golden age of Hollywood, women were like the biggest draws of most movies. A lot of the time, you know, you've got a Garbo's, uh, Joan Crawford, Betty Davis, um, even though they were often paid so much less than their male counterparts, they were the big box office draws. And then like, you get to like the 70s through to the 90s and it completely dried up. The 70s, like 70s and 80s specifically, it all, that's when that like big macho Schwarzenegger and all that, that kind of machismo kind of came about and it's just like this like, you know, void of female characters. You know, you have a couple here and there and I think they'd always often find like a good female, like it was a male-centric movie and there would be like a really, I think Network, I don't know if you've ever seen Network with a, uh, it's Sidney Lumet's movie, uh, with who, who's the actress um, Faye Dunaway as uh, she's like a, a she's a journalist she's sort of like the instigator she has a lot more agency in that movie than a lot of them were kind of given um, and then in the mid 2000s I think it started again but more so in TV I think like Grey's Anatomies came about and these were like hit and Desperate Housewives Desperate Housewives yeah. especially I remember the two shows that kind of helped kill reality TV was Desperate Housewives and Lost and there was like both you know men watched Lost for the most part women watched Desperate for the most part. I definitely watched more Desperate Housewives than I watched Lost. <laughs> I did too, right? It was. A, I thought it was a much better written show. I, I watched <laughs> season one of Lost and I at least watched up to season two of Desperate Housewives. I was, I was in a conversation with someone who was talking about how Desperate Housewives was very... Was it, was it just at our last writers was, meeting? Yeah. yeah, yeah. We were talking about how in, oh, and it seemed very like bad representation, but I think it was doing a lot, especially for the time that it was kind of in... Um, is there a moment we can point to that kind of started the shift in terms of representation? Uh, from my perspective, no, I don't think so. I think that it's something that's happened over a number of years. Like bit dribs Swing and drabs. Around. That's right. And I think it's really cyclic as well. We see swings and roundabouts. So at certain points it seems like we're gaining ground. Like in the 90s there was Girl Power and we had Xena and we had Charmed and, you know, we had all those kinds of wonderful shows coming through. And then, again, I mean, in early 2000s, we've got Tina Fey doing amazing stuff and still it, it seems like there was a little bit of backslide somewhere in the 2000s and where did that happen? I think a lot of, I, I was reading a thing because the success is often seen as the exemption to the rules. So a really good example of that is Sister Act. Because uh, Sister Act was like female of colour in the lead in a big studio movie, unheard of. And it comes in and it's a smash hit. It's the sleeper hit of the year. They do the second one. It's another smash hit, huge sleeper hit. And then with the other female of colour-led movies, it just didn't exist because they saw that as the exception to the rule. I think it's such a such a damaging thing. I think it's like I've been seeing a lot of – I follow a lot of like female writers and directors. I feel a lot of writers and directors, period. Some of them <laughs> happen to be female. Um, and they're always tweeting about like, like how many times do we have to – Prove it's not. There are too many exceptions to this rule. It's not yeah. a rule. It's not a rule. It doesn't exist. I'm, I'm really hoping that Wonder Woman. Ha- I'm, I'm hoping Wonder Woman has changed the landscape because, like, everyone's like, oh, you know, like every time you've got a, a, a woman-led uh, superhero movie, it's going to fail, and it's directed by a woman, it's going to fail. And Wonder Woman fucking did amazing. I think too. Another let thing it is change. The burden please. was always given of like. Uh, 
uh, it's all like soul representation because there's so I think we were talking about this in the writers group when there's like not enough of it like so Wonder Woman if Wonder Woman is a success oh it's a quote unquote women can direct movies I was like no no they could always direct movies and if women was a failure oh we don't want to hire more women whereas men aren't you know men have the privilege of not having to be bothered how many times has Ridley Scott made a fucking movie after making another shitty movie yeah he should have retired after making Hannibal for fuck's sake mm. Yeah, that makes me think of science and confirmation bias, yes. one of my favourite topics. Like you will find, that's how bias works, you will find things that back up your existing beliefs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's Wonder Woman's great though. I think I think it started because I just saw Michelle McLaren is attached to Cowboy Ninja Viking. Um, so Michelle McLaren was, a, she's, I think she's a TV director um, and she was in contention for Wonder Woman and then eventually went to Patty Jenkins. But she's doing the new Chris Pratt big action movie about it's, it's about like this like government agency that hires people with split personalities and they train them up so it's a cowboy, he's a ninja and a viking in the same person. It's it's based on a comic book. It's this really ridiculous thing. But that would be a project that would, I think, pride one woman. No one would have ever given that to a woman. And I, I hope, I really hope because it just it needs to happen. And, you know, it's like how many times do they have to prove that it's like you, they can make a... Other, uh, there was another... Someone made an interesting comment how women should be allowed to fail and make bad yeah. movies. Like, you know, every movie that a woman is directing has to be a masterpiece. And whereas men aren't given that that limitation, it's, you know, I read someone says, well, I want women to make shitty movies now. Why can't we have shitty movies directed by women? Why uh, do they always have to be the best one ever? The Cracked Movie podcast, uh, they did a whole month on Catherine Bigelow and like literally almost every episode, because uh, like they did, uh, what was that movie she did between um, uh, that surfy one and then she quit for 15 years or whatever? K-19, The Widowmaker? Yeah. When they were talking about that and they were like... That was the highest budget for a female director. That was $100 million yeah. and that was the first time a woman had been given a $100 million budget for directing. And they were like, after that she just disappeared because no one would give her another chance. Just let women make shitty movies. It tanked, it, it tanked and they were like, oh, women can't direct a big budget thing now. I want to see women make more self-indulgent movies and television. <laughs> oh, and, and I think a good example is um, Jill Soloway's I Love Dick, yeah. which was on... Amazon, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so difficult. Like, it doesn't follow normal narrative conventions. It's like watching an, an art movie of some kind. Yeah. And I love that it got made. Yeah, it got cancelled. I love that it, I know <laughs> I it got cancelled. Yeah. Yeah, I, think, but- I think Amazon, I was just saying this on last week's podcast, um, that Amazon and Hulu were like, oh, maybe I was just talking to Zane. Uh, Amazon and Hulu were like cleaning house because they both, uh, there's the gap, the Game of Thrones gap. And they both want to fill that desperately. And Amazon have the rights for Lord of the Rings to do an expanded universe TV show. And so Amazon are just cleaning anything that is not their highest rated show. Mm. And I have a, I have a hunch that Hulu have got the Wheel of Time. Someone bought it, and they haven't announced who bought it. And I reckon Hulu's got it. Um, although well, Hulu are doing really well. With- Amazon's also cancelled one Mississippi, which is. Tignataro's show. Tignataro's show, which is equally not accessible and very quiet and yeah. kind of quirky and niche audience and that feels like part of the backlash to me that those two got cancelled they were two of the most original cancel, female voices what, did they there was another one they cancelled that i thought was like oh yeah i'm glad that one went yeah there was something shitty as well that i don't know cancelled. see it's hard I when they don't release their ratings you can't you kind of can't judge it on, yeah but yeah ratings is not what drives streaming services this is true this yeah. is true um so what's the current landscape as far as like female characters leading what are your guys thoughts 
Uh, well, I think it's improving, um, but I think that that's mostly to do with women who have, especially in America at the moment, we're seeing a lot of women who have been actors and they're really pushing from being the one who has been looked at for all these years to deciding how they're going to be looked at by making their own content. Yeah, big Little Lies. Big, big Little Lies is big, but even in the last couple of weeks I've seen Kristen Bell and um, and Kerry Washington have both released stuff or are releasing stuff. Uh, Kristen Bell's is on Ellen Tube. She did a she's done a little web series called Mum Splaining, oh. which is really interesting and funny. And Kerry Washington, I don't have the details on what that's going to be, but it's coming out on Facebook. Oh wow! Oh yeah! No no! Oh I oh, I wish I could remember. It's a really interesting project though because Facebook are trying to get into like yes. scripted television now. Everyone wants scripted television now. That's right. And um, <coughs> even with Reese Witherspoon, she's getting more creative with her stuff too because mm. she's just teamed up with Jennifer Aniston to do a show for Apple. Oh, that's good though. I wonder awesome. though. It's interesting though. Big Little Lies being seen as like the the because it was both written and directed by men, and it's kind of an interesting. Well, Leanne Moriarty wrote the book. Yeah. Mm. So the book, the the concept came from a woman originally. But also Handmaid, oh, uh, Handmaid's Tale is directed by a woman. Uh, she did a phenomenal job, Reed Morano. Um, yes. But it's written by a man and I was really surprised by that. I was kind of like, what? Like, yes. for real? But it seems like they, they're, they're the good ones. They're the good eggs. In the, in the bad, bad. <laughs> well, again, the original source material did come from Margaret Atwood yep. and it's very close to the original source material. Oh, okay. In many ways. They made they updated it. They made some changes that um, were well, more second season will be relevant. The second season will be really interesting because it goes off book. So... We have no idea where it's going to go. <laughs> I'm excited. I just I saw the trailer and it looks like violent. Yes. <laughs> really good though. I'm it looks really amazing. Keen. I think it's interesting that was it, it was just this past year in 2017, the box office, uh, the top three box office films were female-led movies, not necessarily directed or written, but uh, it was Beauty and the Beast, it was Wonder Woman and, oh, shit, what was the other one? Um, I can't even remember, but the top three movies were females in the lead and I was just reading the ratings on the shows. Grey's Anatomy is still the highest rated show in the 18 to uh, 18 to 49 demographic. I still watch it. <laughs> Never missed an I tried, episode. I tried to give it a go and I couldn't really get into it. Um, but that Shondaland thing, it'd be interesting to see what Shonda does. She's moving to Netflix ne- now. Yeah, that's right. Uh and, and ABC have now, the only person they could get, I think it was Carlton Cuse, I think, is they took him from... Uh, FX to replace the hole left by Shondaland, which I'm so keen to see what Shonda can do when she can say fuck. Like, like <laughs> that's like the main thing I'm excited to see. Um, but yeah, what can so what can writers and filmmakers do to help specifically, like male writers and specifically male, us two, us two, <laughs> yes, us two. What can we do? To help? I, I know in particular, like I, almost, I think all of the things I've written, I've made a female lead. But that was more because it works better with the story that way. Mm. So, yeah, what, what can I do? What can Give we me do? tips, guys. Oh. Give us tips. Because, see, I was going to say it has to happen higher up. Like I want to see more people like Judd Apatow who shepherded girls. Yeah. You know, I want to see people in power, the decision makers, Give more that, opportunities. That is probably more that's important. Not, yeah, that's, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's maybe more important. putting women in those positions is obviously like instantly makes it yeah. more. I think it was it was um, uh, D. Reese. You know, Netflix got D. Reese. She made Mudbound, and she's done. You know, she she's when you put people, she, she's at the top of the chain of that movie. I'm mumbling again. Um, she's there's a female cinematographer. 
who's now the first female cinematographer nominated for an Oscar. Also, fun fact, she's a queer female cinematographer, which is even better. <laughs> um, and she's, I found out she's doing, she's, she's the cinematographer of Black Panther, which is really cool. So that's like, you know, Ryan Kogler is getting, you know, helping that shepherd yeah. that thing. That's yeah, I cool. feel like it's not really on you. It's about people at the top making more opportunities mm. for yeah. women. But I think also part of it could be like, I mean, I know I've seen a lot of, filmmakers around me that are, they do very male-centric stories and they're very, you know, it's, it's a veritable sausage fest a lot of the time. And it's interesting because I've spoken to some, like I've written, I did a feature film and I have some sort of interesting women just because I, who wants a boring woman in, in your film? But, um, uh, and the actresses who came up to me were like, oh, you know, really cool. Like, you know, thank you for writing like a really complex. And I'm like, I didn't, I don't feel like that. Like, <laughs> I, I don't take compliments very well. But um, it was kind of like, because the, the landscape of what they get, it's you're the girlfriend, you're the nagging wife. You're the, you know, you're the woman that said, Emma Thompson has a great thing. She's like, it's the woman whose who's job in the movie, she always says, no, don't go and do that brave <laughs> thing. And that's her scene. And then the guy goes off to do the fight anyway. And she's crying. Yeah. Um, yes. I, it honestly always depresses me. Like when I did auditions for pizza, the amount of women who came in and were like, you know, I love the fact that the girl and like the girl and the guy, they, they're just friends and they don't get together at the end. And I'm like, I mean, I'm glad, but why does, why is that a thing that always happens? It is. I get, it, but see, I've rebelled against watching shows. I hated when they put, I know you disagree with me on this, Ellen, but uh, Oliver and Felicity and Arrow. Oh, I love Oliver and Felicity. <laughs> I was like, why can't they have a platonic relationship? Why can't it happen? No, I do a lot of shipping. <laughs> I want to see that. Yes, um, and I do too. And yeah. the reason why is because Felicity is not the traditional choice for an Oliver Queen. So she's the nerdy, techie one. We say nerdy. They put a very hot woman I in know, glasses and a ponytail. <laughs> well, okay. We all know How that's is what she? nerds are. But, I mean, in terms of her character rather yeah. than her appearance, she is nerdy. She is the one who solves a lot of his problems and she isn't equal to him even though she's not a physical equal. She has the intellect. So they balance out in terms of skills. I think a lot of it has to do with agency. That's right. I think with representation, he's giving the women agency in the scripts. I, there's a great. I've written this down because um, it's a, 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 a writer by the name of Kelly. Sorry, Kelly Sue Dijonic. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. She, it's called the Sexy Lamp Test. Have you heard of this? Uh, that's uh, what goes, Lady Parts podcast always have at the end of their. Um, if you can replace your female character with a sexy lamp and the story still basically works, maybe you need another draft. <laughs> yes, they have to be protagonists, not devices, and that's what I always kind of found. With a lot of the writers I was kind of meeting, they put women and I'd kind of, they'd ask me for feedback. I've been asked for feedback a couple of times and I kind of hit them on it. I'd be like, you women here are really shit. Like either, if you're going to write a male-centric thing, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that, but do it, don't insert the women to be like just props for the yes. men almost. Well, I couldn't agree more. You have to write people. Yeah. <laughs> if, if they're not just women who exist in the space and flirt with the men or yeah, say, no, don't do that. Women to people, right? You know, yeah. They're, just, they're all separate entity. Exactly. I, I know George R. R. Martin got asked about how he made such like interesting female characters and he's like, well, I think, you know, the first thing I do is I, you know, I treat them like they're humans. Um, <laughs> amazing, and, amazing you know, idea. Amazing Who would have thought? Who that works. Um, and I, you know, something I've also sort of thought is I've had to do it with my own stuff because I'll default to men in writing scripts. I default to white as well, which is a bad thing. And I always have to, you kind of have to take that moment, I think, for 
filmmakers to take a moment to rethink why that is. And if it's important to the story, you know, keep it. Like if you're dealing with themes of masculinity and all that stuff, but if is there a reason why? And if not, would making the, fem- making the main, main character a female make the story more interesting? But also from a pragmatic point, like local actors-wise, there are the ratio of women to men is like 10 to 1. It's nuts. There are so many women out there and when they're all going for like, you, you write this role and there's like six characters, five of them are men and then the one of them is the girlfriend. You get like the same women showing up for this one tiny little role. Whereas if you kind of open up at women, older women, younger women, women of colour, you're going to get a better looking movie. It's going to look different and you're not going to look like everyone else who's making a movie now. I think Salt was an interesting example of that. Yeah, I was going to bring up Salt just because uh, I know the way it, it happened, but I'll let you describe it. Well, it was, it was originally hopes. written, it was, a, it was produced as a vehicle for Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise's new movie was a spy. He's going to run everywhere and do stunts and it's going to be this thing and then something fell through and he didn't want to do it. And Angelina Jolie came along and they reshaped the story around her and having seen, I didn't like love the movie, but I thought it was a really interesting movie. And I think looking at it and then knowing what the Tom Cruise version of it would be, this, the female version, it just has a better dynamic to it just because of the politics it's playing with. It's playing with like Cold War and Russia and all that kind of thing. So I think that's kind of interesting. Um, but how do you guys go about writing female characters? Being well, females. Uh, well, Being uh, females. actually back to your original question about oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, writing female characters yourself, I think two things come to mind. One is get ten women to read your script and give yeah. you feedback. Yes, Not one. Absolutely. Because that is what I do. Good. Yeah, good. <laughs> I'm working, yeah. Um and the other thing Thing and I've listen to their advice as well. Oh, and that's no, they can't do that. That's not that easy to do. I mean, it's not it's not easy to hear if someone yeah. says this is boring or this is sexist. It's not mm. easy to hear. But if you get an if you get the same note ten times, then it's probably good. Yeah. That's what I found just in writing mm. in general. You send it to multiple people, and then the note that keeps coming up, that's the one you fix. Yes. Because some people will just say, like I wrote, you know, my feature film Red Can Hell, now available on Vimeo on demand. <laughs> um, smooth. Uh, the the I. Showed it, I actually showed it in the writers group, fun fact. Um, and there were some people who, due to their own personal sort of uh, lives, they took issue with some of the language and some of the, the more explicit things, but then other people didn't. And so you know you need to sort of separate what is and isn't like a genuine sort of thing that's affecting your script from being what mm. it wants to be, I think. And the other thing is in TV, I think a diverse writer's room is the ideal way yeah. to make sure... Well, don't tell the Rick and Morty fans that. They'll <laughs> freak out. Oh. Do you guys know about... Uh, you, no, you know I don't Rick and Morty? You, I know of it. You guys are so lucky. They, had, they brought in, for season three, they brought in two female writers and the, Rick and Morty has a very toxic fan base and they lost their shit and made it about how the women are ruining Rick and Morty and the women had written the, the two of the best episodes in the show. <laughs> like, they're ruining the show. Oh. Uh, uh, it was, It was. yeah, it was... It's, it was a whole other thing and you guys are really lucky you didn't have to deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, <sighs> it's, yeah, it's, it's very... You can find stuff on Don't Facebook. Find Don't stuff find on it. it. Don't go out and find it. Um, but I think also character descriptions in your scripts, even if you're like an amateur writer, the descriptions of the women should – because I, I was watching an interview with – no, I was listening to it with Eric Heiserer who wrote Arrival and he said what I found was I was always introducing men by some with some kind of description of their personality and then women with some kind of description of how they look. That's and right. Just assume that Hollywood or whoever you're <laughs> giving it to will cast someone attractive <laughs> like Hollywood and, isn't and move prone on. to cast – ugly people like so you don't need to specify what was the one that you hate it's it's uh the description beautiful but damaged yeah (laughs) that's it always it's it comes up 
all the time. Um, even yeah. though I, I think it's interesting is even female writers have sort of kind of slipped. And I, I read the first script for Mean Girls and Tina Fey introduces Katie as she's the kind of person that's so beautiful and doesn't even need makeup. Like, and it's or something like that. And that's probably because she was reading romantic comedy scripts. Yeah. Yeah. Because that would have been the only real source material that's comedy content about woman, women at that time. And um, that's, that would have been how they were introduced. Yeah. And women are not immune to this either. We I've are. Done it. Yes. Yeah. And you have to catch yourself and go, oh, hang on. No, I would like to be seen as more than just a pretty face. <laughs> Beautiful but damaged. That's right. Um, Is there a description like that that people go to for guys? Like I, I'm happy to be described as beautiful but damaged, but because like I don't think like no, that's there probably an isn't issue. I would, no. I'd love to actually know. I tell you what, I'd love to handsome see handsome but brooding, perhaps <laughs> brooding, dark. I'm going to write all of my male characters as handsome. I'd love but to see now. a woman introduced as like ugly but really together. <laughs> you know, like that would be me. Has her life together. <laughs> it'd be it'd be interesting. I think um, there's a great way to uh, again the Eric Heiser interview. He says. Find a thing that really just tells you everything about that character. So he read, you know, that was doing this one about mobs and it's like uh, he has dirty boots but clean knives. And that like says everything about the person as opposed to just she's blonde because what if what if you get, you know, what if you get Sofia Vergara? Well, she's not blonde. She's, she might want to wear a blonde wig. Does it make your movie, is it important that she's blonde? And no. And so it should sort of tell you more about who the character is or behavioural kind of things I think are really good to include. I, you know, a go-to one I kind of use when I've got like some authoritative character, be it a man or woman, I say, you know, and I stole it from an author that I loved as a kid and it's like you, they, they wear authority like a cloak and it's going to be the thing and it just tells you how they're going to carry themselves without dictating either to the actor or to the costume person exactly what they have to look like because that's going to change when it goes into production Anyway, it doesn't matter how much money you have. I can't help but think that the description of a character in the big print is sort of the least of your worries. Like they need to have a good storyline, yeah. proper motivation, uh, good dialogue and, and maybe be from a female, like speak to the female perspective. Like yeah. I think that sort of this fixation on the big print description is sort of a cosmetic fix to me. And, okay. I mean if it's a small character then you kind of have to evoke them in a few words. Yeah. But if it's a bigger character, then you have that's the, the least of your worries. Um, what are some of the cliches you kind of, you guys have kind of seen in scripts where like men have written women, and you just like other like I mean, we've said one beautiful but damaged. Well, I'm going to give you one that isn't necessarily just one that is in scripts that men have written, but the strong woman is becoming a problem as people are trying to be inclusive. They keep writing women who are strong, and they're proving how woke they are. That's right, <laughs> and that's fantastic, and we love strong women, but. They're often without flaws and they're just a little bit too rational and they don't necessarily feel human. I think there's a particular problem in Australian stories is that we have a lot of rational women on Australian television and that tends to make them boring and, and not necessarily relatable. Uh, what was it, uh, I hate to bring him up, but Max Landis with um, oh. uh, when he wrote uh, Mr. Right, how he, was, uh, how he specifically wrote a female character who is a complete her, mess. She, her, 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 her life, it was described, I think, in the script as a train wreck. Yeah. And he sent it to the studio and the studio were like, we don't want to see, no one wants to pay to see a woman who's a train wreck. And then literally that year, the biggest movie of the year was train wreck <laughs> by Amy Schumer. But see, women always think or often think that they're doing things wrong. And so when they see a woman who isn't together, they relate to that 
because they go, well, I don't feel together all the time either. So I think giving people flaws is, a, is one way to make them seem real and authentic. Because that's one of the things that writers are always taught is, you know, you know, and I've seen like weird rules, like the seven flaws they have to fix over the thing. And when they're kind of stripping that away from the female characters, again, it's kind of still creating that gap between the writing of the two. Um, I think one of the things that bugs me a lot um, is it's the lesbians for the sole purpose of titillating straight male viewers. Um, That's why that. I turned off Game of Thrones in the first 20 minutes of episode one. <laughs> Is it were there lesbians in the first episode? I don't even yes. remember that. They Wait. were sort of like handmaiden people of colour and they were teaching the one with the long blonde white hair, oh, his I name I refused that, yeah. to know, how oh, to have sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One and of I was the, full of rage and <laughs> I was out of there. <laughs> yeah, because it's, it, it's where they don't have like their own kind of romantic agency. I These think women were just me. there to look at. They were props. Yeah. They were there to be sexy. And the yeah. fact that they were people of colour as well, I was just like, Ugh. Yeah. So I disagree with you about George R. R. Martin being <laughs> lauded for his But he didn't do the show. And in the book that's not there. Oh, okay. Or it may be like an offhanded line. But there's also, I mean, for something like Game of Thrones where they're trying to do a historical-esque interpretation of because, you know, as you know, shitty as it is for women now, you know, go back to medieval times and it was like abysmal. <laughs> so if you're trying to partly accurately present that mm. and I think... He, it didn't feel like accuracy though. It felt like titillation. Yeah. Oh, it yeah. felt like male the way gaze. that they shoot it and everything yeah. like that. I think the strong woman things, well, you, I think we had a conversation once a while back about how, you know, they just give a woman a gun. Yeah. yeah. I Googled the list of the, you know, 100 best female leads in preparation for this podcast. So did I. And <laughs> half of them were just women with swords, women with guns, women in leather suits yeah. hitting people. And I'm like... A woman with a wand. Oh, which one which was, one that? was that? Hermione, Hermione, Hermione? Granger. Okay, cool. Yeah, well, so no, that. She, she, she had smarts. But everyone she's had... fully rounded, but I got annoyed by She may others. or may not be on my list. <laughs> she was this close to being on my list, but I was like, it's too easy. Mm, I think there's like these cliches, and I think even like politics aside, I think it's if your script is full of really cliched characters, be it men or women, like get off. You're a shit. You're a shit writer. Fix your script. Like, and then the politics on top of that is like a more of a reason to do it. I think I get really sick of professional women who kind of have it all together and they're really successful and then they give her a character flaw and it's almost always that she's klutzy. So she's like, <laughs> drop things and fall yeah. over and there's kind of this physical comedy that's supposed to make her relatable and it's really... I saw it done interestingly though in the post because Meryl Streep's character is given... She's very... But her character's very much about doubt and her becoming sure of herself. It was this weird kind of stealth female lead character because you think it's kind of going to be this two-hander and it's pretty much all about Meryl's character and she's a klutz, but I think I was listening to an interview that happened during the making of it. She tripped on a chair in a take and then she did it and they're like, oh, I fucked up. So she did another take and Spielberg was like, why didn't you trip on the chair just then? Do that, keep that. <laughs> it was an interesting, it felt more real to her. I feel like Meryl could pull that off. Oh, yeah, she does, she does. I mean, <laughs> Meryl can pull anything off. <laughs> Meryl could play Batman and I would be there. Is there a good way to measure if we can't, you're doing it right in a script? Like, I know there's the, the Bechdel test, which I've personally had issues with. I but think the Bechdel test can work, but it doesn't work if the two women are bitching about another woman, uh, talking about makeup or shoes or hairspray <laughs> yeah. uh, or any other stereotype. Or having a pillow fight is another one that doesn't pass. I don't. I don't think that can pass. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yes. So I think as long as they're not conforming to any other stereotype and they are actually being human in the conversation that they're having, then potentially it can be a good way to assess if you 
are at least including women. But as to whether you're representing them positively, that's another step I think is required. I think it's interesting because the Bechdel test to me focuses on like a quantitative thing and I always thought, I was like, I could like sit down and write a script between two women that would be the most horribly sexist thing in the world and I can write a script between a woman and a man and that, that fails every aspect of the Bechdel test that would be actually a much more complex and and well-rounded character, I think. I just saw a film festival. I was applying for film festivals and I saw one that said, we measure all our films by the Bechdel test. And I'm like, that... Yes, well, what do you do with films like uh, that are set in the wilderness, like Wild yeah. or... Yeah. You know, what do you do with films like that where it's just like, a woman on her own? I think own? A Few Good Men, to me, is a really interesting example because it's one woman and everyone else is a man. But she's actually a really... I know Aaron Sorkin cops a lot of flack for it, but I think she, as a character, has a lot of agency in that movie and the, the script and is really well-rounded. She does fall for the leading man, but it doesn't feel like, you know, it's not like a, a CW show where they just they fall, fall head over heels because he takes off his shirt or something like that. Uh, it's interesting, though. Yeah, it seems to me people maybe lack latch onto the Bechdel test sort of wanting a checklist or some kind of recipe or formula for not how not to be sexist but it's a bit deeper and more nuanced than that. Yeah, I think when they're using it, I think the festival that I looked up, I think when they're using it to try and prove how woke they are, mm. that in itself is, to, I, th- I would think, very sexist to do it. It's saying, look how not sexist we are. We love women. It's like, no, no, it shouldn't be about you <laughs> Like shut up and give. Uh, it should be about giving voice to yeah. sort of female. Yeah. I'd go back to my previous comment, which is get feedback from a variety of women before you commit it yeah. to screen. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Because you can save yourself a lot of embarrassment. <laughs> yeah. I just um, wanted to say the other thing I'm a bit sick of is still the manic pixie dream girl is yeah. creeping in. And my most um, upsetting example is season four of Rectify. Do, do, do you I know need this to watch show? that? Is it good? It's beautiful. Okay. It's like. It's just a wonderful, sensitive, nuanced show about a man trying to reintegrate into society. And then in season four, I won't spoil it, but there's a, there's a character who kind of saves him and she falls into Manic Pixie Dream Girl for me and it's like having your favourite thing oh. ruined. It's oh, terrible. No. I've seen it. is a very, I think when it's something like 500 Days of Summer, I thought it was done really well in that. But then, then you know, then it, it becomes like a cliche really quickly. I've seen recently, though, I've seen a couple of like Manic Pixie Dream men in a couple of scripts. I can't remember Dirk which Dirk Gently. One. Dirk Gently, yep, 100%. And then it's, they do it in Buddy Things or I've seen it done with like a female lead and then it's like the guy who's the quirky one who fixes her life, <laughs> you know. I think that's Adam Brody's character in the OC <laughs> as much as we love that character. Oh, whoa. <laughs> You're right. Really? Have yes. I never noticed that before? Well, yeah. he fixes Summer. Who, does he? Yes, I think he does. Is Summer beautiful but damaged? <laughs> no, she's not. Summer's a bitch, but she remains one. Well, she? no, she gets better over time. Uh, I think that he helps her fix her life, especially when it falls apart. I think her parents get divorced and, yes, he's Remember quite... the OC. Wow, uh, that brought me back to high school. Yeah. Uh, so are there any kind of stories you think haven't been told, like stories that, you, you know, we've seen men be able to sort of play in but women haven't had the opportunity... Yeah, I don't want to tell men's stories. <laughs> I don't want to say like 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 archetypes with women standing in. So, for example, like something flies. like Harry Potter. Mm. I think we haven't seen a, a, a female character be given that kind of. It's not. I say be given. It's like the language I'm using the here is atrocious. One. Yeah, like the cho- like the sort of the, the hero's well, journey, the very, very traditional. Well, I don't know That's about true. that. The Wizard of Oz, for example. Mm. 
but she does like she doesn't have a lot of agency in that. Oh, she does. She's a leader. She leads. But they all like do things for her. I think, no, and then like you know, and then the wizard, so. and then oh, I guess a woman helps her out in the end, <laughs> doesn't it? With Glinda, that's right. All the most powerful women in the Wizard of Oz are, are all the most powerful people are in the Wizard of Oz. Are wow, I think it's that's women. a good point. Yeah, that's so true. Yes, but I, I watched a TED talk on this. So, oh, really? yes, I think they do a better talk. job. Of, have you seen Lots Wicked? Have either of you seen the show Wicked? Yes. Yes, I think <laughs> Wicked did a much better job of centering that. Well, on... sure, but Wicked was written a few years after the Wizard yeah, of Oz. Just tad, <laughs> tad's a little bit. But what about something like, um, you know, you still call me by your name? I think we to see a, a same-sex female relationship treated in that way, we haven't. Have we've we? seen we've seen this. I mean, the closest you got is something like Blue is the Warmest Color, but that was a very male-made uh-huh. movie, and a lot of the criticism was done in that the movie just stops for this ten-minute mm. lesbian scene. Mm. Whereas uh, Call Me by Your Name is about exploring the character, and I don't think uh, I think a lot of queer cinema does get quite dark for it when yeah. queer artists are doing it. And we're sort of in that realm where we're trying to find better happier stories to tell. I say that I'm writing like the the worst <laughs> horror movie at the moment for, <laughs> for queer characters. But um, uh, something like a lesbian version of Call Me By Your Name I think would be an interesting mm. story that we haven't seen yet. Or Yeah, I mean I think, you know, we've probably seen quite a lot of white straight women's stories. So it's just anything that falls outside that. People of colour, yeah. LGBTQI, whatever acronyms yeah, yeah. around at the moment. And and even non-able bodied women. Like that's one disability yeah. is so disability underrepresented. Is, is, it's, it's tragic just how un, like it's never there. And then when it is, it's they usually give the role to an able bodied person, like a la Glee. Um, I, was, I was watching an interview with a, a, a uh, he's like a filmmaker and he saw this, he, he, he was asked about where do you see, you know, your representation there and he said Glee was the worst one because they just, it was like a punchline so much. And in a show that was meant to be championing diversity, it was a bit, mm. um, but yeah, I think that that's a kind of a good place. We need more more stories, more better writers, more more women in charge, I think. I think that's kind of a good place. To, and get feedback. Yes. Get feedback, yes. Yeah. Send your scripts out to female writers. Send it to your mum and tell her, no, don't tell me I'm the greatest thing in the world. Just <laughs> tell me if you think this is good. Um, so, yeah, I think we've got our top five now and, and in in true spirit we've done top five female characters. doesn't have to be the leads but you can, you know, I think female and leads is sort of the time when you're going to find probably more complex ones. Um, I'll go first though because, I think you know, I always kind of go last on these ones but I'll go first and we'll, we'll let you guys ended off but for me I had some honourable mentions I've got The Bride from Kill Bill cool um, because like I mean it is that woman doing the man's thing but at the same time it's very specifically a movie about motherhood in a very interesting way especially the end of number two that scene in the bathroom is very good Uh, Carolyn Burnham from American Beauty played by Angela not uh, uh, Annette Benning. Annette Benning. thank you Um, she's such she's not a great character she's not a great person she doesn't have a life together she's such a she was so rich. I think a lot of that has to do with the performance, but I think on the page as well, it's a very interesting. Uh, Hermione uh, from Harry Potter. Yeah. Uh, Sen from Spirited Away. Yeah. She's gorgeous. Uh, Jane Bodine, who's a character from a movie called Our Brand is Crisis, played by uh, Sandra Bullock. And it is fun. She's like a political fixer person, like a strategist. And it's a really good movie. And no one has seen it because it was advertised as like this intense drama. And yet it's actually really funny but also really good. It's called Our Brand is Crisis. Um, Selena Meyer from Veep and Miss Sloan, which is another movie with Jessica nice. Chastain, and it's an excellent movie. But my top five, 
I've got uh, Dolores Van Cartier from Sister Act. <laughs> how, I, how are we not surprised? I know. It's, it, she's so good. She's so funny. She has all of the agency in both movies and it's interesting the character being taken through a movie and then a sequel, how they develop her character. Um, Ophelia from Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, it's a very interesting take on childhood, female childhood. Um, uh, number three is uh, Annalise Keating from How to Get Away with Murder. She's such a such a complicated woman. She's an alcoholic. She's bisexual. She's black. You know, there's just so she's a mother, but she's not a mother at the same time. There's so much layers to her. I love that they just keep peeling it back every season. You see more about her. Uh, number four is Alicia Florrick from The Good Wife because that is probably my favourite show of all time. Uh, And number five is a character called Hildy Johnson from the 1940 movie His Girl Friday and she's a journalist and that is probably one of my favourite female performances in a movie ever. It's considering it was done in 1940, how much agency she has, how well, how big of a character she's allowed to be in that movie is pretty extraordinary and she's a great, great movie too. Very, very funny. Um, uh, which way, Chancellor, yeah, we'll go around. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, so I'll have my honorable mentions, which are really just like the obvious ones, like Xena, uh, Hermione, Wonder Woman, um, the, uh, the girls from Charmed, which I, Charmed's a weird one because that was one I used to watch when I was a teenager, but I always forget its existence until someone brings up Charmed. I'm like, oh yeah, Charmed. I love Charmed. That was a great show. I was um, too scared to watch it as a kid. <laughs> Uh, you're all up in the magic, though. I know, but that was like demons, and I was like, ooh, and like oh, pentagrams. <laughs> you know, that was uh, the only other one in my uh, honorable mentions that's any worth note is um, Kate Lloyd from the remake of The Thing, and that's only because that was that uh, that that character made me realize how how male centric the original thing was, and I still love that There's movie. No women in the original. No women at all. Maybe the the chess machine. I don't know. But <laughs> uh, and Kate Lloyd was a great character in her own right. Marie, uh, Marie Elizabeth Winstead is that her name? Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Yeah. Yes. Um, she, she, she was great in the character. Uh, the movie just wasn't as good as the original. That's all. Um, so for my top five, mainly women with guns. No, there's only one, <laughs> uh, which is um, Samantha Kane or Charlie Baltimore from uh, The Long Kiss Goodnight. Yes. That movie like shaped the way I saw horror, uh, sorry, action films. And Shane Black in particular, he was like writing that movie and then like halfway through writing is like, this movie doesn't work this character has to be female. So he rewrote it as a female character and then all the studios were like, no, 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 make it a, make it a male. And he was like, no, it, do- it doesn't work that way because her character, her whole character change is all about motherhood, all about maternity, which is really cool. Uh, next one is Becca from Pitch Perfect 1, not 2 or 3, mainly because I don't remember her character in 2 and I don't remember 3 because I didn't watch it. But uh, specifically in 1 because she's not perfect she is like a flawed character who's likable who's enjoyable but she's kind of a bitch but that's fine she's she's human and i love that uh next one will be janet colgate from dirty rotten scoundrels not just because i watched this this week and it's the best movie ever but wait they're doing, it, they're doing a female version of it aren't they with which i'm really interested in specifically because of her character have you guys seen dirty rotten scoundrels you haven't seen it yet no, chain I, I won't say why then okay. uh that's a bummer. My next two are very similar. They're both groups of two. The first one is Romy and Michelle from Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. It just proves that 
women can be dumb funny too. And like you have so many male characters who are that dumb funny, mm. uh, what do you call it, man child sort of thing. Romy and Michelle proves that you can do that as women. And I, I just love that. And my next one is kind of for the same reason, Alana and Abby from Broad City. Oh, yeah. uh, not just because they made that show, they uh, they made the web series, but and they're both great comedians on their own, but also the fact that they show stoner comedy as women's and they should prove that you can do that. And it's, it's just a good show. If you haven't seen it, you should. I still haven't seen it yet. You it's on the list. It's on the list. It's, it's on Netflix or something. Stan, it's, it? on Stan. Stan. it's on I, Stan. It's, it's on the pile. It's on the pile. I got Chanel to watch through it all. So <laughs> it's gotta be good. What about you, Rachel? All right. So we do our honorable mentions first. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, Suzanne Stone Moretto, who is the lead in To Die For, Nicole, one of Nicole Kidman's early roles. I haven't seen this She's one. a total delusional psychopath and it's one of Nicole Kidman's best performances. It's okay. just you can't stop watching. It's fantastic. Um, Tammy Taylor, Friday Night Lights. Is this the TV, TV show? Yeah, the TV show. Connie Britton Connie plays Britton's her. Friday. I mean, her relationship with her husband is really the centre of the role, but she's not just a wife. Like, she has a lot of agency. She gives him a hard time when he's a dick and <laughs> it's kind of like an aspirational marriage. Yeah. yeah. It's great. Um, Lucille Bluth from Arrested Development. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Truly horrible person. So selfish. I want to be her. Yeah, go see <laughs> a Star War. <laughs> oh, that show is so good. She's just ruthless. It's fabulous. Um Rachel from Unreal. Yes. The, produ- the lead producer. Is that her name? Is it the lead yes. one or the, the, yeah. the lead character or the one who's the head producer? The lead Not the character. head producer. The yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, who's the, the Roswell actress? girl. The Roswell girl. Yeah. <laughs> um, she, her superpower is that she's fantastic at emotional manipulation and that is such a great superpower to give to a yeah. female character. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can't wait for the new season. I think they're going to completely, because they're playing the Bachelorette, so now they're doing Bachelorette and the, the girl they've got as a Bachelorette is apparently just as manipulative as Rachel and so it's this whole dynamic shift in it. I'm so mm. keen on that show. But she's not pure evil. Like she has good in yeah. her but she kind of is so good at manipulating she can't help herself. Her superpower also like rips away at the good in her. Yes, yes. It's really cool. It's really good. And then I think I cheated for the last honourable mention, the entire cast of Orange is the New Black. Yes. And I wanted to put that in too. <laughs> And not Piper, actually. It's it's all the because they're so diverse. There yeah. are fat women, lesbian women, black women, Latina women, and they're just fabulous. They're so all good. Of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, so my top five in no particular order: Selena Meyer, same yes. as you. She's just an awful human being, but she feels like a real person and yeah. like a politician, and she's great. Um, Liz Lemon from Thirty Rock. Yep. I relate to her so much. Yeah. I am. I also dislike dating and love night cheese. <laughs> but you love food. I love night cheese and all food. Night cheese. Um, Lisa Simpson from The Simpsons. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah, no, good. She good is a a wonderfully, you know, smart, hopeful character, and. There's an episode called Lisa's Substitute where she gets a substitute teacher and like falls in love with him and then he leaves. Which I've is never... the one that like I think all of us cried in. I cried so That's much. One... Is that Bleeding Gums Murphy one? No, no, no. 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 It's a substitute. I don't know who plays a substitute teacher. Uh, Dustin Hoffman, I'm pretty sure. Right. Yeah, I know. It's, I know it's one of those big That's names. That's a little. Oh, that's tainted <laughs> now. But um... it's fine. It's cartoon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can't tell Tim. It was. It was wonderful. Um, 
Controversial pick from Mad Men. I feel like you meant to say Betty Olsen, but for me, uh, it's Peggy Olsen, but for me, it's Betty Draper. Okay, cool. It's the first time I've seen a character who's very, very beautiful struggle with her beauty, and and her beauty is a liability. Huh. Like most beautiful people, we're meant to believe they're ordinary people. Like they cast a beautiful actor, but she's every woman, and they didn't do that with Betty and. I just feel so sorry for her. People said January Jones can't act, but I thought she was wonderful and the character mm. was wonderfully written. And then the last one is like a guilty feminist pick. <laughs> uh, I've been listening to a podcast called The Guilty Feminist. It's Catherine Trammell from uh, Basic Instinct. Nice yes. choice, yeah. She's just... She's just so powerful and beautiful. I cannot really justify why I like her, but I just love watching her. She's badass. That's a good movie too. It's a really good movie. It is. I I really hope the sexual thriller has a comeback because that's a genre that's dead. Me too. And I I think it was Sharon Stone's got one in a comeback. She's done that Mosaic show for HBO, but it was like an app and now it's a... And then they... So Steven Soderbergh... It's an app and you basically watch these chunks of all these little pieces of a story that then equal up to a main mystery where she's like a writer. But then as part of the deal to be able to do that, he then had to promise HBO that he'd cut a television show out of it. And so he's done that. So it's out to check out if you can track it down. So, yeah. Yeah, I think the um, sexual thriller went downhill after the copycats of Basic Instinct like Sliver and Body of Evidence with Madonna. Yes. (laughs) No wonder they stopped making them. Oh, God. Anyway, that's my list. Should you do the male sexual thriller where it's like a female being... <laughs> no, would that be uh, They did do yeah, that. It stars that Jennifer Lopez and it has a name. The Boy Next Door. Uh, yeah. The way they do like the first copy of the Iliad, which doesn't... The first edition copy of the Iliad, which doesn't exist. Yeah, that movie got trashed. It did, but it did made it? a heap of money. Really? Buckets of money. Mm. Uh, anyway, Ellen, your picks. Okay, Uh, it's interesting going last because I'm seeing some crossover here. Um, I'm going to start with an Australian pick. Uh, So this is the, uh, what are are we calling them? Honourable mentions. Honourable mentions. Um, So this is my Australian pick because I think it's important to include at least one. Um, This is Frances from The Librarians. I don't know if anyone's seen that. I know of it. But she's, she's not a very nice person. She's very pedantic and uh, quite racist um, and... (sighs) She's very interesting and compelling and I just think she's phenomenal. Is this Robin Butler's character? Yes. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's really great and I, I'm, it's a shame it's not on anymore but it was really great um, and I loved her. And um, so that's my Aussie option. My other other honourable mentions are Offred from The Handmaid's Tale. Yep, yep. I feel like I can't not include her. <laughs> she's pretty incredible. Uh, Jess from Bender Like Beckham. Yeah, she's oh, a absolutely. great character. It's, it's such a important modern role. I think yeah. it really speaks to um, to having many different uh, pulls in your life. Intersections. That's right. Um, Veronica Mars. Yes. Oh, why oh, the God. hell wasn't that on my list? Oh my God. <laughs> I was such a huge fan of that show when I was in school. See, I was so close to putting Harriet the Spy on my list, oh, but I, re- I was like, no, maybe not. I'm not a child anymore, but. <laughs> I also have Alicia Florick from The Good Wife. Yes. Nice. A big favourite of mine. Jessica Jones. Yes. Yep. Great. Still the best Lord Mar- Human. Marvel show so far. Yes. And I can't wait for season two of that show. And then my top five are Cher from Clueless. Mm. I yes. think it's Alicia great. Alicia Silverstone. Alicia Silverstone, yeah. that's right. And it's an adaptation of Emma, which is one of my favourite Jane Austen Classics, Liz Lemon, of course, from Thirty Rock. Yes, 
Uh, who doesn't love night cheese? Leslie Nope from Parks and Recreation. Yeah. Uh, I'm surprised that no one else mentioned her. She's an interesting character because of how what she started in season one and then what they turned her into. They realised she wasn't the, she was the butt of the joke in season one and then she became like a completely different character when they realised how they had to re-fix the show. That's right. And it it's great to have a woman who's so ambitious be so likeable and mm. just so funny and so compelling. Literally the only reason she isn't on my list because I've been watching a lot of Parks and Rec recently is because she is my sister to a T and it creeps me out. Which one? <laughs> Kezia. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 I see that. <laughs> uh, Joan from Mad Men. So I have a co- another controversial <laughs> pick. I also thought, oh, no, I should be picking Peggy, but I didn't. I love Joan. I also love Betty. Um, but I just think Joan is a really fascinating character because she she really knows how to play the world, but it also hurts her, even though she's so knowledgeable about how to survive by the women's rules and how to manipulate the men using all of her natural assets and advantages, she still gets hurt time and again by the world that she's in. And so I think it's great because she seems more than the other women to have a roadmap for how to exist and we still see that she's hurt by that world. So there's sort of no way to win in the 1950s if you're a woman, I guess. Mm. Um, And Selena Meyer. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Love that show. <laughs> so good. I, I remember we had a debate though because you were like, I, if she was running, you'd want her to win. And I'm like, she's actually the worst person <laughs> imaginable. I agree, but I think we have to remember that when you elect a prime minister or a president, it's based very much on visuals and who looks the most presidential. So she certainly, I think she could give a compelling speech. I think, I mean, we're not going to have the behind the scenes of Veep if we we're electing her in real uh, life. This is true. This is true. Uh, well, that's a really good place to, to end. I'm so keen on the new season, but I reckon I know where it's going to end. I have a theory. I, think I know I've you do. I do, yes. Um, <laughs> so uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for coming on. Thank this you for having us. Having us. Uh, if, you ever want, if you want to come again, just shoot me a message and, and we'll get you guys on. Uh, if, uh, thank you to our listeners for listening. Uh, if you want to catch us, you can, we're on Facebook at the Mighty Motion Picture Rangers and we're on Twitter and Instagram at Picture Rangers. Uh, and you can email us, and you, if you want, you, we want questions. We want uh, uh, people feedback. We want some audience interaction. So give us a like and a rating on uh, uh, iTunes if you want. Um, you can email us at uh, Mighty Motion Picture. Ra- sorry, it's the Motion Picture Motion Picture Rangers at Gmail dot com. I think is the the address. And you can find me at Shane M underscore Anderson on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at the Chancellor on Instagram, uh, and that's all. I'm not even going to mention Twitter this time. Okay, because you just hate it so much. Well, yeah, thank still you guys. Cancel. Thank you guys for coming on, uh, and thank you everyone for listening. And we'll see you again next week. Bye. 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 The world is a mess. War, famine, politics. Why can't everyone just get along? Yeah, like in musicals. Musicals fix everything. If people listened and learned from musicals, everything would be better. Music, lights and spontaneous choreography. What isn't there to love? If you want to learn all of life's important lessons... Or just listen to some musical theatre nerds wax lyrical... Subscribe to Musicals Tell Me Everything I Know, wherever you find fun and funny podcasts. Or at our website 
Facebook at that's not canonproductions.com. That's not canon productions podcast. Hey, James and Riley, how you going? Oh, I'm very well, thank you, Curtis. What's thank- up? Oh, mate, I'm just, we're doing a promo now, right now for our new podcast. Well, what's it called? It's called Unfeatured Articles. Well, what do we do? What do we do? Thank you for asking, Riley. We look up every week the weirdest that Wikipedia has to offer. We dive into the comedic trenches of that website and find pure gold, baby. Pure sexy gold. And we put it all on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever you find your podcast. Podcast, so please find us on Facebook, etc. Unfeatured articles. Uh, that's not kind of productions podcast.